Thank you for this time. Thank you for this time to be still, to know that you are God. Thank you for this time to lift our voices, to praise you, to exalt you, to remember that even though last week was Easter, that the same is still true today, Father. Pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word. That we might understand you better, Father. That we might love you more. That we might know you more. And that because of that, that we might love one another more. Thank you for this time, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. You may be seated. Oh, well, if the other girls are going, I'm going too. Hey, she'll grow up and be a teenager someday, and she won't claim that. So relish it now and enjoy it now. That's my mom. How precious. (laughs) It's been a couple weeks since we've been in Acts with Palm Sunday and Easter. And it's so cool how God works out. If, if I had tried to plan this, it wouldn't have worked. But you'll see when we get into the text today what I'm talking about. Because it follows right on the tail of Easter. It, it reiterates Easter. And, and it talks about uh, Paul preaching the word and, and what he preaches. So we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, since it's been a couple of weeks since we've been in, in Acts, we uh, last... Uh, Three Sundays ago, uh, we had finished chapter 16. Um, if you recall, Paul and Silas were singing in prison in, in the night. They, they had a song in the night. And I want to read uh, just briefly, I, I loved his quote from Char- Charles Spurgeon. Any fool can sing in the day. It's easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful stager is the one who can sing when there is not a ray of light to read by. Songs in the night come only from God. They're not in the power of man. So when you wake up in the night and you can't sleep or you're laying down and you can't fall asleep, ask God for a song. Ask God for a song in the night so that you'll feel his presence. And, and Paul and Silas were, were very boisterous and loud in there. They're singing. All the, all the prisoners in jail in Philippi could hear them singing and singing praise to God. Oh, now I got my pages goofed up. Let's get back to today's notes. Okay. So the, 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 the earthquakes, I, I think that more, had more to do with the power of the Holy Spirit than it did with Paul and Silas' singing. But just the same, the earthquake, the chains, all the gates opened, the, the shackles came off all the prisoners. And the Philippian jailer comes running and he's ready to fall on his sword. And Paul says, stop. Now this is the guy that just had him beaten just a few hours before. Paul says, stop. And the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? And just like we we saw a clip from Alistair Begg last 
Sunday, if, we talk, if we're talking about our salvation and we start in the first person, we've already gone wrong. Because it has nothing to do with anything we did. Our salvation has everything to do with what Jesus Christ did for us. And Paul tells the jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And the, the Philippian jailer and, and those in his household that, that heard the message received Jesus, brought him in, healed his, you know, tried to clean his wounds and put some salve on him. And then he and his family were baptized, at least all, everyone in his household that believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they were baptized. That didn't give them salvation, okay? They did that in obedience to follow the truth that that's, baptism represents our recognition and uh, uh, association with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Next morning, the magistrates come and tell Paul and Silas, you know, or they, 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 actually the, the magistrates didn't come initially. They sent their policemen to tell them, tell them to get out of jail and get out of town. Get out of here. We don't want them around. And Paul says, oh, no, 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 no. We're Roman citizens. Tell the magistrates to come. And when the magistrates heard that they were Roman citizens, they, they were concerned because they knew they'd messed up. Now, why didn't Paul, before the beatings happened, why didn't Paul and Silas speak up then? Because that would have been to their benefit, and by waiting until this opportune time, it was that it was almost leaving a, a, a bit of protection for the church. In that, when Paul and Silas moved on to share the gospel elsewhere, the church was still going to be there having to deal with these magistrates, and so they were going to walk a little more carefully in their dealings with, the, with the, the Jewish believers there. They were going to be a little bit more cautious because now if we know there's Roman citizens there, we, we, have to, we, we just can't just rush in and beat them. We have, we have to step back and slow down and, and do the due process. And so that's why Paul waited and told them. And, and he, only, he only played that card at this point was, was so to protect the church and, and to put some level of protection there and to help the, the magistrates to think before they acted. So now that brings us to chapter 17. Before we get into chapter 17, if you've already turned to Acts, hold your finger there. Go back with me real quick to Matthew 28. Last, last Sunday, we walked through several verses in Matthew. And, and one of the things that we, we repeat frequently in our study in the, books of Act, in the book of Acts, that Jesus fulfilled the law, he fulfilled the temple, and he fulfilled prophecy. And last week, we went through and looked at the different verses in, in Matthew where he was telling his disciples I will die and I will come again. I will rise again. Told it to them several times in their ministry. And, and, and we'll see today that, that when Paul's preaching the word, that he'll even go back and Christ is going back to the prophets in Isaiah and Psalms. And, and even all the way back to Gen or, yeah, Genesis 3.15. That, that the, the, the plan was there from the beginning. That Christ would die for your sins and for my sins. But in Matthew 28, 
verse 6, he said, He is not here, or the angels were telling this to the women, He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come see the place where he was lying. And remember, we, I, we, we, we like to say, and I don't know how long this has been going on in the church. I know we've been doing it for many years. But on Easter, we say, he is risen, and you respond with, he is risen indeed. He is risen indeed. Amen and amen. It don't get no gooder than that, all right? But I would, I would say, and, and Beth brought this, was this on the, the Facebook page from the... Just a friend of ours, okay. The, the, their pastor in their church had used this text last week too. And the first time I say he is risen, you say he is risen indeed. And the second time I say it, you respond with just as he said. So he is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. Just as he said. Just as he said he would. Yeah, right from the scripture. How cool is that? That just as he said, he, he said he would die, he knew he had to suffer, but he also knew that his father was going to resurrect him, just as he said. So we know we can, we can take it to the bank, and that was, I think our sermon title last week was, he, what he said he would do, he did. He did, he did what he said. We, we can take that to the bank, we know that that's going to happen. All right, let's go back to Acts now. Acts chapter 17, they're, they're, they're leaving Philippi now, and they're moving on towards Thessalonica. We know that that's the destination for, for what comes up. Acts 17.1, now when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, now Amphipolis was about 30 miles from, from Philippi, and then another 28 miles down the road, there was Apollonia, and in, in, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to think and, and figure out why they didn't stop there. Why, why they went on. The rest of the verse is a clue, okay? They came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Maybe why didn't they stop in those other two cities? No synagogue there. What, did, what, did, what do we know had to happen for there to be a synagogue? There, there had to be, not just Jews, there had to be ten Jewish men in order for there to be a synagogue there. So that tells us a little bit about those two cities, that they're, they're smaller, okay? And, and as, as we see repeatedly uh, throughout their, their ministry and the missions trip, that, that Paul and Barnabas and now Paul and Silas would go to the larger cities. Thank you, Stephen. Okay, here's, here's Philippi. Thessalonica's over here. And as they're traveling on that, that Roman highway, you see uh, Apollo, Apollonia made it on there. Our other one didn't. It was a little too small to, to even be on this map here. But they're heading from Philippi to Thessalonica. And right at the end of our message today, they're going to move on to Berea. Okay, I, I, I don't know if it helps you at all. I, I love maps and it helps me in, in here understand and process and figure out what, what's going on. So they came to, oh, and, and there's again that, that pronoun they. 
If you'll look back at chapter 16, verse 10, Luke is the author, and back in verse 10 of chapter 16, he says, we, so he was traveling with them, okay, and, and prior, prior in Acts, it was they, again, before he joined them, so now we know that if he's saying they again, that he is not traveling with them at this point, it's believed that, that Luke stayed on in Philippi to, to pastor the church, to lend some spiritual guidance and direction to the church in Philippi. So Luke is writing, they, came, they being Paul, Silas, and Timothy, came to Thessalonica where, they, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And one of my favorite verses in all of Acts, and according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scripture. Didn't, didn't matter what the current trend was. He didn't call 1-800-JOEL-OSTEIN, what should be my topic this week? What, what, what should be my reasoning this week? Or my feel-good message to the people this week? He went to the scriptures. And what did they have? At this point, they had the, the Old Testament. They had the prophets. They had the law. And so he was explaining to them in verse 3. First of all, he's reasoning. Then in verse 3, he's uh, explaining and giving evidence. So he, he's using the scriptures to prove his point. He's using the scriptures to say the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. Now, now we, we tend to just use the name together, Jesus Christ. Uh, and sometimes say, Jesus Christ our Lord. But the significance to the Jew, Christ, what would Christ meant to them was that this was the Messiah. This, was the, this is the one they were looking for. We frequently use in our day, the Christ means Savior. And, and to, the, to the Jews, they were looking for Messiah. So when you see the word Christ, anytime in the New Testament, you could probably most likely fit or exchange it if it's in the context of the Jews to Messiah. Paul, Paul is teaching them and telling them, remember what the prophet said in Isaiah and Jeremiah, back to Psalms? This, this Jesus is our Messiah. He is the one that came. He had to suffer and rise again. And that's the part of the text. It's just so cool that it's right on the heels of Easter. It just fits right in there. He's just continuing to, to preach the gospel and to tell the people, this one that suffered and rose again from the dead, this Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And to you I say he is our Savior. There's only one of those. And this was the one. This Jesus. Now, you, you know, I like to bring up the action verbs all, all the time, and it was just two chapters ago. It seems like it was a long time ago. But it was just two chapters ago where we kept talking about all the things that God did for the Jews and, and the action verbs. Well, here we have some action verbs, and it's Paul being active and taking the, the action to do these words 
so, so that they can understand. In verse 2, he reasoned with them. In verse 3, he's explaining or giving, uh, proclaiming, persuading. He's proving to them through the scriptures that this Jesus is the Messiah. That they need to recognize and understand that this was not just a man. But that this was Messiah. This was the one that we've been looking for. Now, now Jesus Christ, uh, to the Jew, was a stumbling block. Because they, they were looking for a hero. They were looking for a political savior from the Roman authorities. And, in, and we, we see it repeatedly, and we'll see it again here today. It's, it's kind of funny when, when the non-believing Jews want to get after Paul and Silas, they, they always say, but they're breaking the Roman law, which is really funny because the Jews had no respect for the Roman law. But we'll get to that in a minute. Christ the, the cross of Christ to the Jew is a stumbling block because it was not the idea that Jews had in their minds about who the Messiah would be. Again, they expected a political hero, a, a conquering hero, to throw off the Roman control. So it was difficult, and, and in, in a sense I can understand it, it was difficult for a lot of Jews to get it. Because their concept or idea of Messiah was not Jesus. Their concept of Messiah was not somebody dying on the cross for their sins. So they, they, they struggled with that. They struggled with understanding. And we know that, that throughout history, and, and it still goes on today, that, that there are some Jews that never accept Jesus Christ as their Messiah, as their Savior, because they're still waiting for the Messiah. They're still waiting. They haven't, they, haven't, they haven't figured it out yet or realized that they need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, was their Savior. Verse 4, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a great multitude of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. Some. Not all. Not everyone that heard the gospel responded and accepted Jesus Christ. Some did. Some understood. The Holy Spirit was at work. But not all did. Let's take, I'm going to, I'm going to put a little parenthesis in my message here now. Uh, and, and we're going to kind of look at this parenthesis and then we'll come back and pick up in verse 5, okay? Keep your finger in Acts 17. Turn to 1 Thessalonians. Now, we're in Thessalonica, and we know that 1 and 2 Thessalonians were written to the church there. We want to take a look at how, to, to get a better picture, a better idea of how it was, the gospel was received in Thessalonica. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 5. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in the power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
So it was received in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's when frequently before I preach, I will pray or sometime in your service will pray that the Holy Spirit will open our eyes and give us understanding and that it will be done in his power. The way it was received in Thessalonica was done in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, you have become imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. You became imitators. What, what do we say? I mean, we, when, when our children, when they're, they're real young, two, three, four years old, it's how they learn is they imitate what mom and dad do. And of course, you got to be, there, there's, there's, <laughs> there's country songs written about it, okay? But it, mom and dad, you got to be careful what you say around the kids because they're going to say it too. And if you're saying some colorful language, they're going to pick it up. And it's, it's a little different coming out of the mouth of the three-year-old than it is an adult. Not that it's any better that it's coming out of the mouth of an adult, but it's, it can be rather shocking. You see some of the expressions on your face. You know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> I know there was a TV show back in the day. It was called, I think it's Kids Say the Darndest Thing, something like that. Yeah. But they're imitators. What do they say? Imitation is the, the grandest form of flattery, something like that. They want to be like mom and dad. And that's the country song. This little boy wants to grow up to be just like his dad. Well, some of those things that dad does aren't the best things to do or say. Then he talks about the time that, that he hears his son praying. says, I want to grow up to be just like you, Dad. For right here, we know that the gospel was well presented to the Thessalonians, to the, the people that lived in Thessalonica, because they became imitators. Verse 7, so that you became an example. So now you, 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 you were, the, the gospel is being preached by Paul and Silas and Timothy in Thessalonica, and you guys are imitating us. Guess what? The next generation of believers are now imitating you. You received the gospel well, you're living the gospel, and now they want to be like you. Would it be a good thing if our neighbors were like us? I'm getting a couple of those looks. Maybe not every day, maybe some days. But the, the, the word was presented well because Paul and Silas and Timothy, their, their behavior was such that it was okay to be imitated and to be followers because they were following Christ. And now people in Thessalonica are seeing the believers in the church there and want to imitate them. So we know that the word was, was well grounded and founded and rooted in, in their lives. Verse 8, for the word of the Lord is sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. They're, now they're a missionary church. They understood the message that it wasn't theirs just to hang on and to keep in their own city, but that, that they were supposed to spread it out. And that's why Paul and, and Silas, in, in the first trip, Paul and Martin, they'd go to the larger cities. 
so that those cities, if they were, the, the churches in those cities, if they were doing it well and doing it right, they would be missionary. They would hit those littler towns that, that Paul and Silas and Paul and Barnabas couldn't hit every single one of them. And, and this is happening in the church in Thessalonica that they are becoming a missionary church. Chapter 2, verse 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe, which takes me back to chapter 17, verse 2. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. He didn't reason with them from the current edition of the Wall Street Journal or pick your magazine, whatever. He went to the Word of God. And that's where you and I need to go, brothers and sisters, is to the Word of God. We're going to see it coming up here in, in verses 10 to 15 with the Bereans. But... The church in Thessalonica did not receive the gospel as the word of men, but they received it for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. That's the way you know that if, if the word of God is being preached, what we soak and immerse our hearts in is what and who we become. It's how we live. So... You know, garbage in, garbage out, okay? But here, the word of God in, the word of God out. And so it was obvious to Paul as he's writing to the Thessalonians that, that the word of God was put into their lives. And that's what's being manifested. Let's go back to Acts chapter 17. He reasoned with them, he explained, he gave, he proved, he proclaimed, he persuaded that Christ was indeed the Messiah. And some were persuaded, some were not. Continuing on to verse 5, but the Jews becoming jealous. Oh man, what is up with that? How often do we hear that in the book of Acts? Every time that the word of God is proclaimed, the non-believing Jews get jealous because guess what? The people start following the word of God and then they're not following the temple. The Jews became jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace. Boy, I wonder if, I wonder if all those riots we had a couple summers ago got this as their template here. They hired guys to do the start, to start the riots. The Jews, becoming jealous, taking some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And coming up on the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. And when they did not find them, being Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they began dragging Jason and some of the other believers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have upset the world. They have come here also. Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. There was, there was three things that the mob set out to do. 
First of all, they said, these, these guys, they're, they're troublemakers. They're turning the world upside down. Hallelujah. One of the commentators said, um, we, we keep saying that they were turning the world upside down. He said, I would say they're just turning it right side back up, all right? But they're, 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 they're messing with the balance of stuff here. Their second thing was they went after Jason since they couldn't find Paul and Silas. So who do you associate with? Do you associate with anybody that's, that's worth being accused of? Who are your friends? You know, we say is if, if you were charged with being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? What about your friends? Maybe, maybe that would be some of the evidence used against you. Hey, I've seen you, I've seen you having dinner with this Christian over here. What does that mean about you? What does that say about you? We've seen, we've seen you hanging around Jason's house. He's, he's putting up. You've been staying there, so, well, we can't get you, so we'll go after Jason. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. And then the, 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 their last cry was, these guys are acting contrary to Caesar's law. We mentioned this briefly earlier. This is where it's kind of ironic, almost funny if it wasn't so sad. The Jews hated the Roman control over them. They hated Caesar. But now they're going to use Caesar's name here and say, hey, you've got, you got to put these guys in jails because they're breaking Caesar's law. They're saying there's another king. Two-faced. Bunch of hypocrites. It's a good thing we don't have any of those around here. Yeah, I'm sure I've taken my turn. They stirred up the crowd and they said, they're saying that there's another king. They're, they're, they're going against Caesar. We've got to stop them. You've got to throw them in jail. Briefly, Luke 23. Just in case this sounds familiar. We're going to confirm and help you figure out where it says it. Luke 23, verses 2 through 4. Jesus is before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, accuse Jesus, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered and said, it is as you say. And Pilate, who was an agent of Caesar, says, I find no guilt in this man. For the sake of time, if you want to dig a little deeper, write these verses down in the book of John. John chapter 18 Verses 36 and 37, John 19, verses 12 and 15. But the John 18 passage talks about the king, and the, and the Greek here is that the, the Greek word means that there's a, 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 another king of a different kind. Jesus' kingdom was not of this earth. 
His kingdom is a different kind than Caesar's was. It will be a different kind than Caesar. Jesus is a different kind of king than Caesar was. And so just looking at the Greek word there and understanding that makes sense. But these Jews who were jealous for what was happening and being done, who didn't want to recognize Jesus as the Messiah... We're using Caesar against them, against the Jews. All right. Verse 8. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things, and when they had received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. I don't think we're going to move on to Berea today. We'll come back and, and see Berea next week. But understand that, and, and, and that's the difficult part, is when we share Jesus Christ with our families, with our neighbors, is not every one of them is going to accept Jesus Christ. Sadly so. Not every one will, will spend eternity with those of us that know Jesus in heaven. Doesn't mean we stop praying for him. Doesn't mean we stop loving him. Doesn't mean we stop sharing the gospel with them. That's our obligation, responsibility, and it's something we should want to do is to share Jesus with our family and our neighbors. Jason was willing to, to answer for them. That's a true brother. Doesn't throw you under the bus. But is there to, to speak well of you, to stand in the faith, to stand firm, to stand strong. Second Timothy 4. Paul, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, pre- preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. There will come a day when people want to have their ears tickled. They, they want to hear what makes them feel good, and they won't want to know the truth. Well, the truth is that we're all sinners condemned to hell because we deserve hell. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us, We can have salvation. We can spend eternity in heaven with him because of what he did for us, not because of anything we can do or say. Don't stop sharing the gospel. Don't stop sharing the word with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors. Preach the word. Stay true to the word. Take action verbs in your efforts. Don't think that passivity is enough. Oh, I I live a good life. My neighbors will know there's something different about me. That's a good place to start, but that's not the end all. Use the action verbs. Reason with them. Explain to them. Give them. Provide for them. um, Proclaim. Persuade. Prove. That the word of God is true. And just as we shared so much last Sunday with Easter. 
Paul did all that energy and those action verbs that Christ had to suffer and to rise again from the dead. And saying this, Jesus, who I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. He is the Savior. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus Christ. Open our eyes in understanding. Father, to the point that we we don't just believe it for ourselves, but that we believe there's an urgency in a sense that we need to share it with those around us. The time is short, Father. You could come today. Oh, that you would. And yet we know that if you did, that there'd be many left behind because they don't know you. So, Father, as, as as, as we look forward to your coming again, we anticipate it, we, we hunger for it, we long for it. At the same time, we need to share you. We need to be missionaries here in Newberry. Thank you for your word, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.